Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Recorded live. Good morning. Put this back on. Can you hear me now? Yeah. All right. Just had to say that. Um, God keeps his promises. Um, this is a Christmas message. Every time we think of Christmas, the baby in the manger, remember, God keeps his promises. And it wasn't long ago, matter of fact, just this week I heard a couple or a couple of people, two or three people that were history um, teachers, both uh, American history and world history. And one of the things they said that I think is very important, especially about the Bible, they said you, you can't learn history the way you learn your multiplication tables. Uh, if, if that's possible. Uh, you need to have a narrative, a narrative, a story. You have to have something there that makes it real. You know, you can't just pick a little piece out of time past and, and build a whole scenario around it without knowing the world before that. That's the problem we have with, with teaching the Bible. Um, many years ago, uh, Brother Guy and I found that when we were trying to teach the Bible college by correspondence that the students had no idea of any history. They, they were living, most of them at that time in Africa, that had, they didn't even know where Israel was. Which direction? They'd never been taught. So, uh, Brother Guy put together a little text uh, called The Overview. <laughs> so, he had an introduction to Bible study, then he had an overview so they could do the first, the first work. They, they kind of knew geography and all those things before they really even got into the rest of the Bible. Because, you see, they struggled with it without that. Everybody's going to struggle with the Bible without some sort of narrative. So we say God, uh, pro- God is, keeps his promises. Well, when did he make any? You see, if you're not aware of God's promises, you won't have any appreciation for when he kept them. And I'm mentioning this now. I Hopefully I'll mention the same thing tonight, but I think this is the beginning of a new year. I think we need to encourage the folks that we meet and those amongst us here to, to study the Bible in its entirety. Uh, 
follow the narrative. It's not perfectly chronological or any of those things. It's pretty good, but where you run into a rough spot, you know, ask somebody. But that's what's necessary, learning how to study and learning how to study by the narrative. So I believe that God keeps his promises, and I, I know it because I'm a student of history. I can see it. Anybody can see it if they look, uh, if, if they care to look. Uh, and I was, I was looking at this. God speaks about his promise and promises about 41 times in the Old Testament in a direct way. I, I think probably a few more in inference, but uh, at least that many. And many, many more times, these things are repeated uh, by other people concerning God's promises over and over. So as Brother David says, um, the issues of the, of the uh, covenants were the promise that had a promise. And then other things were added to the promise, such as uh, the law to the Jews and the regulation. So they could live a life that, that was pleasing to God and, and would also, through those regulations and, and the uh, commandments, they would live a better life. Uh, otherwise, they wouldn't last very long in the world they lived in. So, and the same with the, the New Testament and the New Covenant. There are certainly uh, wonderful promises, uh, but there's also doctrine. And there's also the apostolic uh, oversight of, of God's word and the doctrine within the church. So, um, I think one of the first, uh, outside of going back to Genesis, because we have a promise in Genesis 3 from God uh, concerning sin, that there was going to be one that was going to crush the head of Satan, and he would bruise his heel, that is, the Messiah's heel. That was a promise, you see. And the promises are, they go from there all the way through, right to the very end of Revelation, we see more promises fulfilled to the people. So, I got a scripture here in First uh, Kings. This is speaking of a narrative. Uh, if you've read the Old Testament, you know that it was a long process building the the temple of God in Jerusalem. David wanted to build it, and God said, "No, your son will do it." Uh, and David got a lot of things together, but it took years to build the temple. Uh, it's called sometimes Solomon's Temple, but really it's the temple of God in Jerusalem. King Solomon oversaw the, the work. Uh, <clears throat> but one of the things I like in this is that he mentions firsthand, and as the, as the beginning of this, after his long prayer, he has a talk with them. But he mentions God's promises. Chapter 8. Um, and I'm reading from the, the Darby version, so starting with about 54 through 61. And it was so that when Solomon had ended praying, all this prayer and supplication to Jehovah, he arose from before the altar of Jehovah, from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread forth 
to the heavens. And he stood and blessed the whole congregation of Israel with a loud voice saying, by the way, can you picture that in your mind? There's a lot of emotion here. Blessed be Jehovah, who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. There has not failed one word of all of his good promises which he spoke through Moses, his servant. Jehovah, our God, be with us, and he was with our, as he was with our father. Let him not forsake us nor cast us off, that he may incline our hearts to him to walk in all of his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his ordinances which he commanded our fathers. And let these words of mine with which I have made supplication before Jehovah be nigh to Jehovah our God day and night that he maintain the right of his servant and the right of his people Israel as the matter of each day shall require, that all people of the earth may know that Jehovah is God, that there is none else, and that your heart may be perfect with Jehovah our God to walk in his statutes and to keep his commandments at this day. This was really a charge, wasn't it, to the people of Israel? from the king. They wanted a king, they had a king, and they had a righteous and a godly king at this time, at this very particular time. And um, the, the promises there um, were kept. He didn't know of a single promise that hadn't been kept from Moses. And you know, there was promises before Moses. God made promises to Abraham. And those are the promises that Moses knew about. And we can go all the way back, can't we? Did God make promises to Noah? He did. He made a number of promises to Noah. And we can still see and, and, and share in those promises today when we see a rainbow, when we, when we consider uh, what God had to do at a certain point in time. So I, I really want to emphasize the fact, the fact that God keeps his promises. And his promises, of course, are from, are from heaven. They're holy because they're from his own mouth. They're from the, his servants, the prophets, and, of course, from his son, Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. And what an example he sets for his people. You know, we talk about we want a good example. Every parent wants to be a good example for their children. But you know, the best example you can show your children is the example of our Creator, God. He's a truth teller, He's a promise keeper, and He never lies. And what kind of world would we live in today if everyone kept their promises? I can't even picture it. be fun to experience, though, wouldn't it? There'll come a day when there'll be no more lies. There'll be nothing to lie about. 
in Isaiah chapter 9, that we don't have it on the board. You can put it up if you want, Alex, but verses 6 and 7, I want to read you what the Septuagint writes here because our translations are rather... <laughs> I don't want to get into why they read the way they read, but uh, I, I like to read what it actually says uh, from the original language translated into um, English by a by a pretty good translator. Um, and this is the from the Alexandrian text, but it's the promise, of course, of the child. A child was born will be born. Uh, and they understood that as the the uh, the redeemer. But in Isaiah nine six, this is what it says from the Septuagint: For a child is born unto us, and a son is given to us, whose government is upon his shoulders, and his name is called the Messenger of Great Counsel, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty One, Potentate, Prince of Peace. Peace, Father of the age to come. That's what it says. In verse 7, it goes on. His government shall be great, and of his peace there is no end. It shall be upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to establish it and to support it with judgment and with righteousness from henceforth and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts shall perform this. Great words and great promise. And and this translation from the Septuagint is so very accurate because it doesn't support uh, man-made doctrine. Uh, What it supports is who exactly the Son of God is in the the world that that they were awaiting for. He's the father of the age to come. And, of course, that was the church age spoken of there. And this, this reminds me of all that was said through Daniel and, and, uh, and, and we read in, in Revelation and throughout the epistles um, the idea of the child is born. And that's Jesus. That's the, the baby in the manger. That was the promised redeemer. And in the fullness of time, that is the fullness of God's time, which is, would be a good way to uh, track time, uh, these things were done. Also, God fulfilled his promise of redemption and sonship uh, in the birth of uh, John the Baptist first and Jesus of Nazareth that followed about three months later. The promised Messiah and King of the Jews and this happened 2,000 years ago. But, you know, it's just as vital and valid as, as it was. And if we go to Luke, um, the Gospel of Luke, Luke 26. I don't think there is another Luke, is there? Luke chapter 1, 26, verse 26. And through about 38. I want to read this because, remember... The uh, well, we're going to hear about this again tonight, but the angel Gabriel came to both uh, Zechariah, the father of 
of uh, John the Baptist, and he came to uh, Mary. Uh, and that's the angel that we read about that comes and reveals these things, uh, setting the, the time frame here. 126, and in the sixth month, uh, that is the sixth month actually of uh, Elizabeth's uh, conception of, of John, the angel Gabriel was sent of God to the city of Galilee, of which the name was Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Hail, thou favored one, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. But seeing the angel, she was troubled at his word and reasoned in her mind that this salutation might be, what this salutation might be. And the angel said to her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God, and behold, thou shalt conceive in the womb and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give him the throne of David his father, and he shall reign over all the house of Jacob for the ages. And of his kingdom there shall not be an end. But Mary said to the angel, How shall these things be, since I know not a man? And the angel answered her, to her, The Holy Spirit shall come upon thee, and power of the highest overshadow thee, Therefore, the holy thing also which shall be born shall be called the Son of God. And behold, Elizabeth, thy kinswoman, she is also conceived in her old age, and this is the sixth month to her that was called barren. For nothing shall be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold the bondsmaid of the Lord. Be it to me according to thy word, and the angel departed from her. A lot of promises dealing, dealt with there. And you know, Mary was a person that believed God's promises, wasn't she? She had no doubt. She really believed it. She even believed the angel that God said, sent. Of course, that was a miraculous thing. Uh, she understood that. Uh, nonetheless, uh, we can honor her, especially for her faith and her obedience to her God. <clears throat> then in verse 67 of that same chapter, and I like this because Zechariah had this vision when he was serving in the temple that he would have a son, and <laughs> he just really was overwhelmed with the whole idea. And because he had just inferred that it maybe couldn't happen. He was struck dumb and wasn't able to speak during the whole time period from then until the time his son was born to his wife, some period of time there. And, But here in, in verse 67, we're talking about Zacharias, and his, uh, which was the father of John, he was filled with the, the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, 
By the way, there was a number of people there during this this affair, you know, number of people there uh, with them at this time, and they all heard this. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and wrought redemption for his people and raised up a horn of deliverance for in the house of David his servant. And he spoke uh, by the mouth of his holy, as he has spoke, by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began. Deliverance from our enemy and out of the hands of all who hate us to fulfill mercy with our fathers and remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham, our father, to give us, that saved us out of the hand of our enemies. We should serve him without fear in piety and righteousness before him all of our days. Now the next verses concern his son. That was about the Messiah. That was thanking God. God's the promise keeper again, isn't he? The promise keeper to Israel. He keeps them, and and it's evident to these people that he is doing so. And yes, they were aware of who the one that came before the Lord was uh, in Malachi. And in verse 76, And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to make ready his ways to give knowledge of deliverance to his people by uh, the remission of their sins on account of the bowls of mercy of our God, wherein the day spring from on high has visited us, to shine upon them who were sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet unto the ways of peace. And the child grew and was strengthened in spirit, and he was in the desert until the day of his showing to Israel. I love that, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And you know, that peace there was the peace between men and God, not peace between warring nations. Um, the peace that God brought was, was a real peace. Um, it reminds me of the, the scripture that Jesus said, uh, don't be afraid of one who can destroy the body only. But be afraid of that one that can destroy the body and the soul. You see, we forget that from time to time because we're, we're physical and we worry about uh, being destroyed in that way. But we need to, we need to broaden our thinking. We need to, uh, actually, we need to, to strengthen our faith and we need to uh, forget what the word David uses about our faith expand our faith expand our our understanding uh, to the big picture so we find here that uh, John who would become the prophet of God living in the desert baptizing uh, the Jewish people uh, unto repentance uh, that they could be um, would be set right in their hearts and their spirits with God for the Messiah was at hand. The Messiah was living in the, the very moment they were being baptized for their repentance. And these were Jewish people. 
not the same baptism we have as we become Christians. Some three months later, Jesus was born to Mary according to the promise of God. And uh, as, as Gabriel had said, it was the normal uh, time frame of, of conception and, and childbirth. Um, and so it occurred, and we know of, of course, that story of uh, Jesus in the manger in Bethlehem and all that occurred, the miraculous birth, the miraculous star and, and the miracles and uh, the angels speaking to the shepherds and all that, that was done to bring a real... Um, but when you think about it, the angels coming to the shepherds with the, the myriad of angels singing and and then the Messiah born in a in a stable, in the lowliest of places. Now this is this is how God does things. If you miss that, you know, and I think everybody gets that. There's really something to that. The King of the Jews, born in the stable. Well, as we continue on to the New Testament. See, I'm trying to give kind of a narrative, but it's a brief one. The New Testament narrates the life of Jesus of Nazareth from the birth, his birth, to the end of his physical life, about 33 years. And then begins that transition period for the Jews. Uh, the preaching of the gospel for nearly 40 years. And as the Jews are winding down the idea of the Jewish economy, the Jewish way of things, their, their, uh, the old covenant and all that it had. And then AD 70, thereabouts, all of this came to a conclusion for the Jews. But not only that, many, many promises of God were fulfilled on that day. All the promises that we read about through the Old Testament that the prophets spoke of concerning God's people, God's people. That was the, the Israelites, the Jewish people, the covenant people of God. All the promises that he made to the righteous ones and to the ones that were not righteous. The promises were fulfilled, both good and bad. I say good and bad. Both There was a lot of physical things going on in way of punishment. But there was also the great reward of the righteous soul. And God fulfilled those promises. Not only that, Jesus, his son, was seen and known as the Lord and Messiah, the king of the Jews, and not only that, the head of the church, confirmed by all that occurred and confirmed by God's promises being fulfilled. Those Jews understood what was happening, many of them. And it was, it was a traumatic time for people. Um, one that had never been before or never will be again. You know, that's what the scriptures say. And as I was reading Josephus here a number of years ago, I read in there that even he said, and he wasn't a Christian, he was a Jewish man, but he said, Nothing of this level has ever occurred before. We just don't appreciate what happened at that time period. 
and the world doesn't know a thing about it. It's not even taught in the seminaries. Just glaze right over it. You might get a better understanding of it uh, in another secular school, as far as history goes. We act like it has nothing to do with the church, and yet it's integral in the, in the, in the, uh, the, the, Lord, the Lord's church. But I want to close with this. Some years before the end of the age, which is 70 through 74, if you take all that, that occurred or the calendar issues, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote in uh, A.D. 58, he wrote a letter to the Romans, uh, and in the very first uh, verse of the uh, first chapter, I want to show you here uh, that the apostles were involved in speaking and and confirming, confirming and conferring the idea that God was a promise keeper, that God kept his promises, that God did fulfill the things that his prophets that he had sent out through the ages had been saying all along. Just the first seven verses. Paul, a bondsman of Jesus Christ, a called apostle, separated to God's glad tidings, or the gospel, which he had before promised by his prophets in the holy writings. Concerning his son, come of David's seed, according to flesh, marked out son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness through resurrection of the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, by by whom we have received grace and apostleship in behalf of his name for obedience of faith among the nations, among whom you also, the Romans, the called are the called of Jesus Christ to all that are in Rome, beloved of God, called saints, grace to you and peace from our God, from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I want you to notice in that text that Paul makes it very clear that uh, first that the good news, the gospel is from God. It's from heaven. We were talking about it in our Acts class this morning. The words of the gospel, the words that we read and we hear, those words came from the, the very mind of God. It's God's plan. It's the gospel, his grace. All of this has to do with what he has done for us. And we have, we have much to do in accordance with those words. And we, and we certainly are, are blessed because of it. And the, the apostles preached the fulfillment of God's promise through the prophets and all that Jesus had said and did. That's what, that was part of their message. That's how they confirmed their message. Uh, through the miracles and all of that. But remember, they were using the what we call the Old Testament to show that Jesus of Nazareth is, is the Savior indeed, that he was the, the promised one. 
that was confirmed and can be confirmed from the scriptures that they call the old that we call the Old Testament. So the narrative is true. The narrative is important. And if we remember nothing else in the Christmas season, let's remember that God always keeps his promises. Because he is holy and he has called us to be holy, and that means we keep our promises. If we don't, we're not being godlike. Let us pray. Our Father, as we read your word, we are blessed. We are so content, Father, in the great truth of your word, but pray that we will be invigorated and strengthened to carry your message where it is needed, to speak boldly and forcefully the ways that you have set and the direction you have given us. Be with us now, Father, as we leave this place in fellowship, we pray in Jesus' name.